Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen. It's finished. And we've been tracing Paul in his journey to Rome, in which he is announcing to the ends of the earth that that it's finished, that it's the good news of the gospel is true, and that hell was indeed silenced when, when Christ died and paid the price. And yet, we know that uh, Satan is a sore loser. Did y'all know that? And uh, I don't know if you've experienced in your life, but sometimes he'll try to whisper lies to us along the way. And um, I'm just thankful uh, that God has given us the truth, and the truth of the gospel is what sets us free, even in the face of a, a world and an enemy that doesn't like that he is vanquished and that he is headed for eternal destruction in the lake of fire. And so here we are in Acts. We're in Acts 28, and we're going we're gonna to cover Paul's last leg uh, to Rome uh, after he was shipwrecked, and then he was on the island of of Malta. And so if you've got your copy of God's Word, and I sure hope you do, find your way to Acts 28. And then we're going to begin in verse 11. And, and we're only going to make it down to verse 15 today uh, because my hope in, in these few verses that, that might seem almost inconsequential or like verses of transition, I think there is an important point in these verses for navigating life together as we live on mission for King Jesus. So as we we rejoin the story or pick back up the story. Paul has been a, a prisoner, a Roman prisoner, for more than two years, having been falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple in Jerusalem. And after multiple Roman officials have recognized that he's innocent, they've nevertheless kept him in prison to keep peace with the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. So Paul finally employs his Roman citizenship and appeals his case to Rome, and he's now making a voyage to Italy alongside of other prisoners, and they experience shipwreck and land on an island called Malta, some 210 miles away from Italy. And we saw last week on that island called Malta that God demonstrates his superior power, right, when Paul is bitten by a viper, uh, but the, the viper and his venom don't take him out. Uh, Paul is able to withstand the the viper's bite, and then we get a preview of the coming kingdom of God through these miracles of of healing. And as people encounter the healing power of Jesus, the the islanders, out of their gratitude, resupply Paul and his friends, and, and perhaps even the entire ship full of passengers with everything that they need physically to make it to Italy and then on to Rome. And, and that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Beginning in verse 11, down through verse 15 of Acts 28. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. 
putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patioli. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us on seeing them. Paul thanked God and took courage. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would emblazon the lessons of your word on our hearts today. God, that we too would would thank God and, and take courage for the community of saints that you have given us to be about your mission. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On several occasions in the Scriptures, in particular the New Testament, we see competitive running as a metaphor or an analogy for the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul asks, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you might win. In his last letter to Timothy, his sort of apostolic delegate in the faith, his pastor setting up churches, his son in the faith, Paul anticipates his death, that it's coming, likely his martyrdom in Rome. And he writes this to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul finished his race. And as we see in the book of Acts, his race was often challenging, was it not? In in verse 10, the islanders provided for Paul's physical needs for the rest of his journey, but then we get to verses 11 through 15. These verses that we've just read that, that stand between God's physical provision through the islanders at Malta and Paul's eventual gospel ministry in Rome. Between these two points, we find verses 11 through 15. And I don't believe that's an accident, right? I mean, we really could have just gotten from Malta to Rome. He was on Malta, they loaded up the ship, Paul made it to Rome, here's what Paul did in Rome, and yet we get these details in 11 through 15, and and I think that these verses are here to remind us that finishing the race takes more than God's provision for our physical needs. Finishing the race takes more than God's provision for our physical needs. Certainly, We need food and clothing and shelter. These are helpful, right? It was good to be able to put on some clothes this morning. It was good to be able to get in a car that had gas. It was good for some of you that eat breakfast. I have breakfast. I can't eat before I preach, so I'll hopefully have a good lunch or at least a good dinner. But it's good to eat. We do indeed pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And God does indeed provide. But running the race... In this storm-tossed world where the lies of Satan swirl 
about takes more than physical strength and stamina and provision because we are more than physical beings. We are spiritual beings. We are created to know and enjoy God and to be about His mission, which means we need more than food. We need encouragement in God's mission. We need encouragement from others who pray alongside of us, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If you've ever run competitively, you know that physical nutrition and sustenance and training are all vital, right? You don't want to go into a race without some calories in the belly. You don't want to go into a race without proper hydration. But if you've ever run competitively, you know that at some point, the physical provisions aren't enough to get you to complete the race. For me, it was the, uh, I used to run. And uh, with every day that passes, I regret that I haven't kept that up. My knees and my back and my hips are telling me you should have kept running. But when I was decent, I ran the 800 meters. And there was a cone at Northside's track at about 125 meters to go. Just a little orange cone. And I called it the cone of death. Because I would get to that cone, and I had done everything right in preparation for that race. I had trained well. But a race is just different than any kind of training. It doesn't matter how hard you train, the race is different. And every time I would get to that cone, it's when my body and my mind went to war with one another. And I'm telling you, I had to make a decision, and it was a lot easier to make that decision Because people around me on my team knew that that was the cone of death for Daniel Palmer. And when when I had people shouting encouragement and cheering, there was something that was provided for me to press through that that didn't come from the banana that I ate at the right time or the Nutrigain bar that I had or from anything else. It just came from something that was provided By the encouragement of others. Spiritually speaking, God has made us to have the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's made us to receive a fresh wind, a a second wind, a solid dose of encouragement to finish the race in community with other Christians. And in Paul's journey to Rome, he's, he's faced plenty of opportunities to be discouraged, right? He's, he's faced false accusations and spineless Roman officials and two years of Roman imprisonment and shipwreck. But at Malta, things begin to turn around. And that trend continues in verses 11 through 13. In verse 11, after three months on the island, Julius the centurion requisitions another ship that had wintered there. This was another ship from Alexandria on its way to Italy with grain for the Roman Empire. In verse 11, Luke includes the detail. I I love the detail that Luke puts in verse 11. This little detail that this ship had the twin gods as figureheads or insignia or maybe even the name of the ship. These these gods, Castor and Pollux, were the mythical sons of Zeus and they were considered helpers of the seafarers. 
Now, this is intended for us as irony as the readers, right? Do we know who, who's going to help Paul get to Rome at this point? <laughs> it's not these, these false gods. As Peterson writes, it's become abundantly clear that Paul's security has everything to do with the kindness of God and nothing to do with the whims of these pagan deities. Is this not a picture of our world? I mean, the boat we're on, the, the gods of this age, the gods of this world think they're in control. They, they want our allegiance and our, our fidelity. They want us to think that we belong to them, that we owe them something. We owe them nothing. They've done nothing for us. They're not even gods at all. And these false gods competing for our allegiance and our affection, our attention, they're everywhere. But we know the one true God who stands over it all. This vessel will make it safely to Italy, not because of the insignia on the boat, but because God's word is sure. That's the first point I want to share with you. God's word is sure. You say, well, you've already told me that like 10 times out of, out of this section of Acts. Yes, I have, and I'm going to tell you again, because it keeps coming up as a theme. God keeps his word. King Jesus said Paul would get to Rome, and despite all the setbacks, Paul is going to get to Rome. In verse 12, they arrive at Syracuse, about 90 nautical miles north of Malta. And Luke, interestingly, notes that they stayed at Syracuse. For how long did they stay at Syracuse? Three days. There it is again. He doesn't say why they stayed for three days, but most likely because favorable winds is what they were waiting for. And on the third day, they get favorable conditions, and so they continue. And they make a circuit, meaning they were skirting the coastline of Regium and after that a day after another day, a south wind pops up, the exact wind that was needed for sailing up the west coast of Italy. And so, on the following day, they arrived at Patioli, which is on the Bay of Naples. It was a very common thing for people to sail to Patioli and then complete the trip by traveling the roads that led to Rome, which is what Paul and the passengers do here. And at this point, Paul is, physically speaking, basically assured that he's going to make it to Rome. In verse 14, in fact, Luke writes, and so we came to Rome before they're actually in Rome. So what is Luke's point? He's like, we're as, we're as good as there. Paul had finally reached the road leading to Rome. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been on Malta. He's been facing all this adversity. And so we came to Rome. This is the way we made our way to Rome. God, as he always does, kept his promise. It was as good as done. And if God keeps his promise to Paul and to the first disciples, the promise to be with them in advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth, guess what? He's going to keep his promise to his church today. The same God that, that started the first century church and poured out his spirit on the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be faithful in season and out of season, that God has not abandoned his throne. His word is sure. We can bank on him taking us where he endeavors to take us for his glory and the advance of his mission just like he does for Paul. And I don't know about you, but that is wonderful and encouraging news. That is good news. But it's also perhaps convicting news. You say, well, why is that convicting? Is that not convicting news in a world where many say they know Jesus, but they're not involved in God's mission? 
God's promises are to fulfill His mission to the ends of the earth. There's, there's so many people in our country, in our community, who claim the name of Christ, but there's really no thinking about the lost. There's no thinking about God's call to abandon our lives to Jesus and His purposes and His precepts and His mission in the world. So much of what passes for Christianity today is just a lame twisting of God's promises away from the glory of Christ and the privilege of obedience and the urgency of His mission and toward justifying ourselves as we chase down ever more comfortable lives. Do you agree? Is it, is it any accident? Is he wonder any wonder that, that the world is not compelled by the Christianity they see because they really don't see much difference between Christianity and the world? We've got to be about this mission. We've got to surrender our lives to this mission. This is the mission that God has promised He will keep and He will fulfill. We know that our King's mission advances not through comfortable Christianity. Ask Paul. Well, God's really working in my life. How do you know? Well, I got a new house, a bigger house. I got a promotion. I got a raise. I mean, we default to that, right? When life is going well, God is good. When life's not going well, well, I don't know where God is. I'm glad Paul didn't say that. I'm glad the first century church that faced persecution for following a crucified and risen Savior didn't say that. Is God still good when our circumstances aren't? If not, what's the difference between our faith and the world? Is there any? We know our king's mission advances through Christians who sell out and surrender their lives to the king who laid down his life for them. When we really grab a hold of this truth, God works in us and leads us to gladly give whatever it takes, surrender whatever it takes, go wherever he sends to glorify our crucified, risen, and reigning king. North Roanoke Baptist Church, if we want to see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives, if we want to see them fulfilled in our church, we've got to remember that His Word is about Christ and His kingdom, not about us and our comfort. King Jesus is still working. He is ruling and reigning and leading us to reach and equip people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation until He comes, and that is good news because God keeps His Word. King Jesus is on the move. Paul's arrival in Rome is secured, is assured. Luke could have left out verses 14 and 15 to speed the story along, right? And so we came to Rome, and then go to verse 16. This is what it was like in Rome. But instead, he gives us verses 14 and 15. Now, I want to read those verses again. Let's, let's look real quickly at 14 and 15. There, at Putioli. We found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Here's the last and really the primary point of today's message. Even when things are going well, God uses the ministry and presence of other Christians to encourage us as we live on mission for Him. 
we are such an individualistic society. I mean, we're Americans. We can do it by myself, by golly. That we forget how desperately we need one another. When the boat arrives at Patioli, Paul and his friends, or perhaps the entire boat full of passengers, are invited to stay with the believers, or the brothers, verse 14, for a week before making the, the five-day trek to Rome. Julius the centurion would have needed to authorize this little respite, and it was probably wise for them to do so because the journey ahead would have been over a road that was, as Peterson writes, flinty, making significant demands upon its travelers. A, a longer rest stop after a difficult sea voyage and before attempting this journey to Rome made a lot of sense for the whole party. And, and so this must have been a really good week for everyone, right? A little bit of rest before we make our journey to Rome. But I imagine it was a sweet and gratifying week, especially for Paul. Paul had been a prisoner for more than two years. And while he was in prison, he was allowed to have visitors from time to time. But now for a solid week, it's almost like Paul is living a normal life. He is immersed for a week in a Christian community, something that he hasn't experienced for more than two years. We aren't told how the gospel made it to Patioli, but it had likely spread from the church in Rome out to greater Italy. And Paul, this ambassador for Jesus, this missionary in chains for the mission, surely would have been refreshed to hear and to see that God's mission to the ends of the earth has been proceeding even while he's been in prison. And not only that, he's refreshed by the presence and the kindness of other believers. Their incredible hospitality. These Christians did not invite Paul and his companions over for a mere meal. Do you see how long they, they hosted them? For seven days. Now, do you remember how long creation week took? Seven days. We've seen three days, three days, three days, and now these believers host Paul for seven days. Is this not a picture of, of new creation, uh, of being refreshed for a week in a, in a Christian community before then he heads into Rome for the next phase of God's mission? They, they give him a week to recharge and refuel for the journey to Rome at their own expense. They are practicing what Paul had written to them about in Romans 12, 13, where he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In, in writing to a church that is faced with increasing persecution, Peter says something very similar. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we have eternity with Jesus to see all the ways that he's worked through his people to advance his kingdom among the nations, I, I am sure that we will get to learn more about Paul and Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples. But, but I also expect that when we get to eternity and we get to celebrate what King Jesus has done through the faithfulness of his people, that we're going to also get to know the names of these people at Putioli, unnamed brothers and sisters who opened their homes and became vessels through which King Jesus refreshed his 
Ambassador Paul on the way to Rome. Let me ask you, are, are you a Christian who endeavors to be a source of refreshment to other believers on their journey to see the face of Christ in this mission? Or are you huddled up? Just me, myself, and I, yeah, I'll go to the church on Sunday. I might even get plugged into a 3D group on Sunday, but that's the extent of my Christian life. God has made you for more than that. He's, he's made you for community, and He's going to use the community of our King and the encouragement that comes thereby to expand His mission, to fuel His mission to the ends of the earth. From the beginning, God designed us, He made us to be refreshed not only by Him directly, but in relationships with others who are in relationship with Him. Let me say that again. From the beginning, God made us to be refreshed not only by Him directly, but also in relationships with others who are in relationship with Him. God made Adam, and it was not good for him to be alone. Genesis 2.18 When Jesus came, He came to save the church. We cannot separate our personal salvation from our need for refreshment and encouragement in the community of saints called a local church. The race is not easy, and there are days that it gets long, but there's something supernatural and soul-satisfying about being together with other believers that strengthens us on our pilgrimage to beholding our Savior face to face. Obviously, there are times that we need to be alone, right? For example, I'll use myself as an example. I, I can't study the Scripture or memorize the Scripture very well when other people are around. Is anybody else like that? Like, I got to have absolute quiet, no, nobody walking around. When, when I come to, come to the church and I come to the office, I can't study for the sermon in my office because people are always coming in. They're always talking. I hear the door, that's all I hear. I can't handle it. So what do I do? I go find another room and I say to Cindy, hey, if something's going on, somebody needs me, I'm here. You call me or text me, but I can't do sermon prep in that hole with all the conversation going on. There, there are times that solitude is good, but isolation to avoid God and his people is not the same as solitude to pursue God. Isolation is the tool of the enemy. Satan wants you to be isolated. For those of you on live stream, just because it's convenient, Satan wants you in your home behind your screen rather than in the community of the king. Now, if you're there for health reasons or otherwise, you're on vacation, you're tuning in this week, that's great. But otherwise, Satan wants you isolated. He wants you hanging out solo, doing it on your own. It is the tool of the enemy. He wants you to be the sheep that wanders away from the flock. He wants you to be the sheep that settles for an individualized faith, focused on individual comforts, losing sight of our King's glory and mission, which is really no Christianity at all. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, we read this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Marshall Seagal, in an article called Me, Myself, and Lies, The Dangers of Spiritual Isolation, 
adds this, whenever someone leaves or avoids the community he needs, he has been lured away by his sinful desires. The local church, united with King Jesus Christ as our head, is the place and the people where Christians find strength for this journey. And I imagine that while Paul was refreshed by this incredible display of hospitality, these believers were also encouraged by the chance to serve Paul and his companions in the pursuit of Christ's mission. And you know what I think prevents us from being like this more often? Is we're just afraid of our dirt on the floor. We're we're afraid that we don't have the right beverage in our refrigerator. Well, all we had was water. We didn't have Diet Coke or Coke Zero or whatever. Who cares? Like, Paul shows up. They don't know that Paul is showing up. And they're like, we're going to give you a week right here before you go to Rome. They didn't didn't have a chance to go to Kroger. They didn't have click list. They just made it work. Imagine if we would let our guard down a little bit, let our pride down a little bit, and say, you know what? Uh, the, the debris in my foyer brought in by Benji that I didn't have a chance to get up before you showed up, it's fine. I, I don't need your house to be spotless. I need you. I need to be refreshed by you. I'm here to, here to see you. I don't care about the, the blankets that are strewn across the living room, I don't care about the pillows that are everywhere. I, I don't care about the appearance of cleanliness. What I need is to be refreshed by another brother or sister who's been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the clean that I need. What if, what if we thought like that? What if, what if we didn't care? That it wasn't all put together and it wasn't all perfect? How much more might we be positioned to refresh one another in the gospel? Paul writes about this sort of mentality in Romans 1, 11 and 12 when he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. If you're constantly discouraged in the faith, chances are you're trying to do it alone. Then in verse 15, the encouragement continues. Someone must have gone ahead from Puteoli to alert the church in Rome that Paul and company would soon be on their way. So the church sent two delegations to meet them, one to meet them at the form of Apius and another to meet them at three taverns. The form of Apius was about 40 miles from Rome and three taverns was about nine miles closer to Rome. And Peterson writes this, Paul was escorted by believers from the capital on the last stage of the journey there. Luke is stressing to us the warm acceptance and support of Christians in these western regions, even though Paul had never traveled there before. And the result of this care and concern by these believers who show up for Paul is found at the end of verse 15. Paul is about ready to get to the cone of death. He's almost to his destination. But there's been a lot of hardship. There's been a lot of adversity. And then on the way to Rome, these believers from Rome come out and they greet him. And what do we see at the end of verse 15? 
on seeing them. Paul thanked God, and he took courage. God used the presence of these believers in hosting Paul and then in greeting Paul to embolden Paul. The selflessness of these believers in hosting and greeting him was used by the Lord to prepare him for still more selfless ministry in Rome. Though Paul is a prisoner, his journey to Rome ends up reading more like a triumphal entry into the capital of the world's largest empire. Though Paul is in chains, the the gospel is not bound. King Jesus is still moving and working through his people, people willing to host Paul and greet Paul as he arrives. And Paul was thankful as he was encouraged and emboldened to remain faithful himself to King Jesus in the gospel mission. So church, in closing, I want to remind you that to be thankful and to take courage in this world, we need the Lord, and that means we need each other. So as we close, I want to invite our worship team to come on at this time. I want to, I want to close by asking for some honesty this morning. You say, well, are you implying I was bringing dishonesty before? No. Some, some introspection. A looking within. Some of you came in the doors this morning perhaps not very thankful and not very encouraged. Maybe grumpy and discouraged would be a better description of where you were as you walked in this morning. And for some of you, that's because you haven't taken the next step of of finding Christian community, of, of joining the church and finding partners who will be with you, prayerful with you and encouraging you. You haven't gotten plugged into a a small group. You haven't been honest about your struggle and seeking prayer and accountability. Others of you, man, as soon as the the service is over, you're gone. And and this is an invitation to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to find somebody I don't know and go go to lunch with them after service today or well, I had plans today. So, but next week, I'm going to get started. I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to be open to community and relationship. Some of you don't even know King Jesus at all. So you don't know the refreshment and the encouragement that comes in the community of believers because you need Christ. So this, this morning, we're going to close by singing one of my favorite songs. Because the title is so simple and so profound. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And God, if if I need you, I need brothers and sisters in this journey. So as we stand and sing, you can go ahead and stand. I want to be sure that we understand that having the Lord means willing to be selfless as we encourage one another in this mission on the way to behold our Savior face 
to face. This morning, if, if you've been feeling a bit discouraged, a bit grumpy, maybe today's the day to come and lay it down and confess, Lord, I need you, I want you, and I want to be an encourager in the family of God. Whatever you need, I invite you to come as we sing. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.